Well, good evening, everyone. Hey, um, first off, if, if you uh, if you see people standing around, they haven't found a table. Would, uh, can you imagine if we were actually like an inviting community and we went, "Hey, come sit with me." Um, so, if if you haven't found a spot, we've got a few tables open still. So, you last week, I apologize. We had a couple people kind of sitting along the back of the wall. And that sort of thing. But this is, this is kind of our, our, our uh, new community experiment thing here that we're trying. For those of you who have been a part of the Wednesday night community for a while, we're, we're trying to actually not just connect with, with Jesus, but connect with each other in significant ways. So hopefully this is an environment where that sort of thing just kind of naturally uh, happens pretty easily. Hey, um, real, real quickly before we get started, I want to tell you about something that I don't think you're going to want to miss. Um, on your bulletins... Um, on the, I think it's on the back of the bulletin, there is a list of some really, really cool opportunities, a little bit like this, but even, even smaller settings, uh, Sunday morning classes. And uh, we just started that this, this last Sunday morning. If you're a Sunday morning uh, goer to our Timberline weekend service, I would really encourage you to be here for that 10 o'clock service and, and connect with one of these groups that, that's doing a study. There's one doing a study on the book of Proverbs, kind of very similar to what we're doing in here. Um, there's one just you know, kind of on a men's class. There's one that's going through the, the uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 11, those sort of gr- the, the, the faith hall of fame, some of the great people who have gone on before us. Uh, another one looking at what, what does it mean to kind of have a positive walk in a really negative, downturning world. Classes coming up on marriage, which just... Just a lot of stuff. I, I would really encourage you to say, like, I got to do that. I got to do that this semester. Um, I also got a criticism last week that everyone else was supposed to wear a name tag, but Brent, you didn't have one. So not, I don't. You can't even see it up here. But out of solidarity, I'm, I'm wearing a name tag as well. So if you're like a grouch and you're like, I'm not going to wear a name tag because I don't want to meet anyone. Well, get over it. Okay. Put a name. I put a name tag. I don't like wearing name tags. I put a name tag on. Put a name tag on. <laughs> um, and hey, while, while we're going here, we said this last week, feel free to get up. There's coffee in the back. There's cupcakes and cookies and stuff like that. And in fact, one of the people on our team, which like we've got Jody and a group of people who are just phenomenal. So, so thankful for, for them. Um, please, if you see them, thank them. They're like baking cookies and they're running and picking stuff up. And um, they would also love help if, if some of you have the spiritual gift of baking. That'd be so cool to share that with the rest of us. Um, so you can, you can let us know, and um, you can help feed the rest of us. So it's, it's kind of just a, a fun thing here. Hey, um, oh, one last thing. I promise, last thing. I put a challenge in your bulletin. This is something that I've been trying to do all summer. I've been trying to, kind of getting ready for this whole series on wisdom, do the proverb of the day. A lot of you guys have done this before. The, the Old Testament book of Proverbs that we're talking a lot about in this um, series, 31 chapters, which corresponds to our, our longest month. We've got 31 days. So this whole idea of reading the proverb of the day. And I, just, I try every single morning when I get up at some point before I get going, like today I read Proverbs chapter 10. And I just try to internalize, just okay, even if it's just a real quick read. Tomorrow I'm reading Proverbs chapter 11. And it's amazing throughout my day, a little, I think, I think God brings like a little phrase or they'll remember that one line, you know, as I'm interacting with someone or I'm about to send an email that I probably shouldn't send or I'm talking. And it's like, God goes, remember that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
So I, I would really encourage you to join me. I would love for us to do this as a community. Just every day, read the Proverbs of the day. So tomorrow, pick up your Bibles, read Proverbs chapter 11. They're short, they're concise, and I think, it, I think we can kind of get more out of this whole wisdom series. The series we're looking at is, what, it, what does it look like to live a wise life? That's maybe on the forefront of all of our minds is making good decisions. We want to succeed in life. We want to do well. We don't want to blow it. We don't want to mess things up. And the key critical component for that is this kind of ethereal thing called wisdom. So we're trying to unpack it and figure out what, what that means. So last week we said, okay, well, let's start where we should start. And the starting blocks for getting ahead in this journey is something called the fear of the Lord. And so we, we tried to kind of expand that a little and say, okay, what does that mean to have fear for God? And is that like a bad thing? And how do we, how do we understand that? But the book of Proverbs, is, it, it's full of all of this wisdom of how to do life well. I read some research this last week that if, if you're an average person, you make 70 conscious decisions every day now this excludes like habitual decisions you know things like uh you know tying you know, the right sh- foot first instead of the left foot if you're you know tying your shoes those are sort of habitual muscle memory things or putting your car in reverse you know putting your brake on when someone pulls. those are habitual things 70 conscious decisions that you make every single day now that means over a year you're going to make 25,550 25, conscious decisions every year. And if you live to be 70 years old, you will have made 1,788,500 decisions, conscious decisions. Is that like overwhelming to you? That, that's like kind of overwhelming. You know how many opportunities I have to blow it? How many opportunities that we have to just like make a wreck of our lives with... 1,788,500 conscious decisions. Um, Marcus Brote, he's a, he's a pastor in Lexington, Kentucky. He tells the story uh, he, of uh, a news event that, that happened in Nicholasville, close to that, about a guy who was brought into the ER, and the ER doc reported the story. The guy shows up into the ER, and he's got these kind of weird marks on his neck. And so he's treating him, and he was in an accident and all this stuff. So he finally just goes like, can I ask about these marks on your neck? What, what is that about? And so this guy who's sitting in the ER, this is, this is what he says. The guy says, well, my wife and I were sitting on the front porch talking and drinking a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of clues you in right there. We had just gotten one of those electric shock collars for our dog, the remote control kind. And, you know, we're trying to train him not to bark, not to leave the yard, and so on. We got to wondering how far it would reach. So I said, I'll put it on, and I'll drive down the street. Now, this is his plan, okay? Remember, he had been sitting and drinking. He said, I'll I'll put it on, I'll drive down the street. You take the control. Now, when I honk the horn, you push the button, and we'll see how far it reaches. So he puts it on, he starts down the street, and he, he honks his horn. And she pushes the button, and boom, it about knocks him unconscious, okay? So he's, he's totally disoriented. He starts swerving all over the road, and he's kind of starting to go down a hill. Well, what his wife cannot see is that coming up the hill the other way is another car. Well, that car sees him swerving all over, so that car honks its horn, 
the wife buzzes him again. He swerves. The other car honks the horn. She buzzes him again, again and again. And this is how he ended up in a wreck and in the emergency room. <laughs> now, how, how many of you would say testing your electric shock collar while driving in your car is, is like not the smartest, wisest move in the world? doesn't require Proverbs to tell us this, but it reminds us, Proverbs 19.3, people ruin their lives with their own foolishness. That's an understatement. But see, there are so many foolish decisions that we can make, or just wise decisions that we fail to make in our lives, not just about dog collars and stuff like that, but like about relationships. You know, relationships at home, relationships at work, at your, at your school? What about when it comes to how you should spend your money? Uh, or should, should you go on a vacation? Should you, uh, should you switch churches? Should you confront that person in your life? Should, should you downsize based on your house and, and where you're at? Should, should you move to be closer to family? Tons of other choices in life. And so we're looking at this book of Proverbs, and maybe the guy who's associated with the Proverbs more than anyone else is this guy named Solomon. Solomon is a king of Israel, but before that, when he's just a young guy, he's not even 30 years old, his dad David is very old, and his dad passes away, and, and, and he's given the throne. Now, he's given the throne to a country that has just come out of a pretty difficult, dicey, controversial conflicted era for years and years because of a lot of decisions that his dad has made. And so he's stepping into a country that's kind of, it's in some good ways, but it's, it's kind of a mess too. And he's got to run the whole thing. And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, I want to read a few verses here. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5. This is young Solomon. He's probably in his 20s. He's going to take this role. And he, he's at Gibeon, a location there, just as he's taking the throne. And in verse 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night, and it's in a dream that God is talking to him. And God says, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Boy, that's like a blank check. That's huge. Verse 6, Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David. Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. He says, but I am only a child. This is, this is sort of a, just a very humble way of speaking of saying, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm out of my league here. And I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A great people. Too numerous to count or number. So here's the ask. Here's what he fills in on the, on the check line. So give your servant a discerning heart. To govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You ever felt that way? Who could, who could do this? Who could handle the life? I mean, who, who could be a part of what I'm doing here? 
Verse 10, it says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there um, Anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, he says, and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. We go to the New Testament book of James, Jesus' half-brother, and one of the most rememberable statements that stands out is he says if anyone lacks wisdom like solomon here maybe he had him in his mind if if anyone lacks wisdom he says ask of god because he gives really generously that check that he can write when it comes to wisdom he's all about writing that big check but see this this brings up a really important point here and if you have your your bulletins we're going to walk through just a couple points inside on on some outlines there this brings up something that we talk about and think about and wrestle over and sweat over is decision making and how the the will of god kind of intersects with that decision making and the will of god now i want to give you kind of two different models here the first model this is your first blank to fill in the first model i'm just going to call it's like finding pinpoints on a map. Okay, that's, that's sort of the first model that we'll talk about. This model has as its primary focus um, accomplishing tasks. Think of it like this. This model is all about circumstances. This model is concerned with a specific job. You know, which one? God, I want to have that specific job. I want to marry, you know, just the right person, God, that you have in mind for me, not the wrong person, but the right person. I want to move to a specific city that's in your will, that, where, where you want me to go. Um, I want to go to a specific school, it, on and on. It's, it's circumstantial in nature. Now, growing up, this is the model that I tended to like, live with. It, it, was, it was thinking about, okay, God, imagine like a giant map like of the world. And it's like God had put pins in different places where he wanted me to go, where he wanted me to live, what job he wanted me to have. But I didn't know where the pins were. And so I, I need to kind of like figure out whatever that means and whatever that, that looks like where exactly I was supposed to end up. I'm, I'm supposed to find those pinpoints in this, in this map. Well, I think, I think there are four at least initial thoughts that... that, that I've experienced as I've, as I've kind of navigated with that sort of a understanding of God's will. Um, this model, I think, tends to induce four things. Number one, it tends to induce anxiety. Because um, it's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're sent out into a forest to find, you know, some place on a tree and you have no idea where it is, but you hope, you know, if, if you seek God earnestly enough, if you pray hard enough, maybe, maybe you can find it. Maybe he'll give you sufficient hints for you to find it. This is like, what's that show? The, is it World Race? Is that the name of the show? The World Race? Imagine the World Race, but you don't even know what place you're supposed to end up in. I mean, it, the anxiety of already when you know where you're supposed to go, getting there 
causes anxiety. But imagine if you're not even entirely sure where that is. So I think that this model tends to create this deep anxiety where you're going, oh man, I want to get this, I really want to get this right. Number two, it kind of induces superstition. Because see, you start looking for hints. If you do the right thing, God will give you the hints to get to those marking places. So you, you look for things like, do I, am, am I going to find a, a word on a license plate? As I'm driving, you know, God help me, and I'm looking for license plate or bumper stickers on someone's car. I'm playing Scrabble, and I drop the Scrabble box, and I'm looking to see, is there a word that was made up that came from the pieces? Uh, You know, do I get a liver shiver when I walk by this person? And, oh, that's the person I'm supposed to marry, I think. Or or sometimes we treat the Bible even like the magic eight ball, where we go like, okay, God, I'm praying. I'm really serious. I really want to know. And then we just go like, I'm just going to pick a spot on the fourth verse, where I read. Okay, he who keeps the laws, oh, it's not not that one. You know, and we keep like trying to think, okay, I just, I need to find this because God is sort of concealing stuff and he's hiding things. And so I'm looking for all these hints. And so I become almost a superstitious person. Thirdly, I think this model induces a sense of paralysis. Because what if you miss it? What if you marry the wrong person? What if you even date the wrong person? What if you sit to the wrong person at lunch who you might date, who you might marry? What if you go to the wrong cafe and the person, I mean, I should, what do I do? What do I, where do I go? So it creates almost the sense of, well, I shouldn't take any action until it's so obvious that there's no chance I could miss it. And so we never act with boldness. We never act with confidence. We never have a sense of faith. That's saying, I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to trust you, God, but I'm going to go with it all my gusto. Some of you might be familiar with Lark News, larknews.com. It's, uh, it's out of Denver originally. It's, it's sort of this uh, news site with, with news stories of interest to Christians. And some of it's serious and some of it's just kind of off the wall and, and funny and that sort of thing. A few years ago, there was uh, one article that they had in one kind of one of their tabs on their website entitled funny because it could be true okay so these aren't really true stories but they're kind of news stories that try to get across a point of about kind of christian culture and sometimes how goofy it can be so this is like a a fake headline in a newspaper it says headline man 91 dies waiting for will of god in tupelo uh mississippi walter houston Described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. And then this is his wife speaking. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wasn't sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what life was about, but felt but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back, quote, because he didn't want to disappoint God and go against him in any way. Ruby says, he was always very sensitive. Uh, He was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will that was primary to him. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents. 
Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says one longtime friend, Timothy Burns. He worked very well with wood and had a storyteller's side to him. I always told him, take a risk, try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. To his credit, they say, Houston, who worked mostly as a handyman, was able to pay off the mortgage for the couple's modest home. Now, the story about Walter Houston, it's not real, but it's almost believable, isn't it? I mean, as you hear that, you either think of someone or maybe you think about yourself and you go, man, I've been Walter Houston before. I've been like thinking about this job or this relationship or this career move or this location move or this school or this, you know, major. And it's like I'm at that place. I, I so badly don't want to let God down that I'm in this sense of paralysis that I never act with that boldness that we were talking about. And the fourth thing that, that this model, I think, induces is shame. A sense of shame. Because, see, when things go wrong, okay, you make the decision. Uh, you choose that college out of state, and you go there but on, on a scholarship, but at semester, the money somehow d- dries up and there's no more scholarship for you. And you go, man, I must have missed it. I must not have been listening. I, act, I knew I acted too soon. I must not have been listening to God. Or maybe you, you, you quit your job and you take another job, but six months down the road, you get laid off. And you go, oh, I blew it. I, was, I wasn't really listening to God. I, I missed his will. You send your child to a school that you've applied for for a long time. He finally gets in. You think, oh, this is going to be it, only for him to connect with some other relationships that end up causing him to make some really detrimental decisions in his life. And then that just reinforces the model. It reinforces paralysis. It reinforces anxiety. It reinforces superstition. Okay, now here's what I want to suggest. A different model. I don't think that's the most biblical model that we have. I want to suggest a different one, and that is number two in your outline. The focus of this model, not the pinpoints on the map thing, it's this, who we are becoming. Now, this model has as its primary focus the shape of your soul. That's what I mean by who you are becoming. One of my, one of my favorite quotes that I've, 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 I've written down on a little sticky tab, and it's become this thing for me that kind of keeps me focused, is, is this statement that, that, that Dallas Willard made. He said, the most important thing you are going to get out of life is the person you become. The most important thing you are going to get out of life is the person you become. Then he went on to say, the most important thing God is going to get out of your life is the person you become. See, what if, what if decision-making, okay, consider this with me for a second, especially if model one has been yours. What, what if decision-making and the will of God is not primarily about finding the right pinpoint, the right spot? That one, one job that you're supposed to have and no others or whatever it might be. What if decision-making and the will of God is primarily about the shape your soul takes as a result of making the 70 decisions a day, the 25,000 decisions a year, the 1 million point something decisions throughout 
your lifetime. See, this, this view, it's not primarily concerned about circumstances, about the job, the place, or wherever. It's concerned with how do I respond when I lose that job? What decision do I make? How do I respond when um, I do get the promotion that I've been looking for for years? How do I respond when I am betrayed by that person who I thought was it? How do I respond when I, when I fall in love with someone madly who, who, who I've been just longing to be with? How do I respond? Because, see, it's my response and not my circumstances that will shape my soul. Talk, talk to any great person, whether it be Nelson Mandela, whether it be someone who was locked up in, uh, you know, Solzhenitsyn, locked up in the Russian gulags. Their circumstances did not shape their soul. That's the, but we're like shocked by that. They come out and we're like, how come your soul isn't shaped by your circumstances? You're not mean and embittered and angry and you're actually more beautiful. Because it was the response to the circumstances that shaped their soul. I think that's the biblical way to view it as well. Let me have you this. I want to I read a psalm, but before we get there, I, I want you guys to do something. Um, how many of you guys have heard about the, like the animal-type personality thing? Have you, have you seen these before? There, there's like tests online, and there's you know, different books and that sort of thing. And there's ones that have like 42 different animal tests. Or, I mean, 42 different kind of animals and all these sorts of things. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a second here. We did this last week. It's, uh, we're going to turn to our tables and do something. I want you to just... Now, if there's like six people at your table, we're taking three minutes. That's 30 seconds each. And I want you to just do this. Which animal type kind of like best pictures my personality, how I respond to things, how I live? And the four kind of general personalities, there's the lion. Okay, the lion is kind of the the visionary, strong-willed, very independent, sometimes though kind of, you know, cold and... Uh, unemotional, sometimes domineering a little too self-sufficient. Then there's the otter. The otter is outgoing, you know, warm. You talk to the person, they're so responsive, friendly, pretty compassionate. Of course, they can also be kind of undisciplined, not not very productive at times. You know, tend to exaggerate a little bit at times, not not too stable. Then there's the golden retriever. The golden retriever is calm, easygoing. It's really, really dependable. You can always, they, they will be there forever for you. Pretty diplomatic. But they can be, they can be a little selfish. They can, they can tend to be a little stingy. Sometimes even unmotivated or, or, or indecisive. Sometimes struggle with fear or worry. And then there's the beaver. The beaver is the analytical. This is, this is the self-discipline, like really diligent, super organized, a place for everything. But they can also kind of tend to be a little moody a little self-centered, sometimes kind of touchy, uh, leaning toward kind of negativity at times, sometimes even a little unsociable because they're so focused on the task, okay? Now, you don't need to take a test. All we're going to do is this. we're going to take three minutes. I want you to turn to your table and say, and you'll, you've got a mixture of these, but, but which of these animals would you say, I think I'm kind of most like that one. And if you've got another animal in mind, you know, I'm a monkey or whatever, that's fine, that's fine, do that. Now, 
Think about Now, some people don't say like a snake. If Remember last week, some people said their phobias were snakes. So be, be aware of people's phobias. But OK, so three minutes. Talk about that and then we'll pull back together. Okay, time's up. Question, this would be interesting. Any tables that had like all one animal? No? Okay, so we're evenly distributed. That's good. Anyone have some like, I'm more like an iguana or something just really weird? Nothing? You all stuck with the four? Okay, you're rule followers. You're all beavers. See, I told you. The Bible constantly goes to animals to, to look at, like, how do, how do we pursue life? How do, how do we approach this? How do we approach that? Which is kind of cool. You know, maybe the one that's most common to us is sheep. You know, always talks about where the sheep is, especially good ways, bad ways. It, it likens us to things. Psalm 
there's a particular psalm that I want you to look at. Psalm chapter 32. You guys, this, is, this statement is a thing that kind of revolutionized the way that I approach the whole will of God thing. But what's interesting is he, he chooses an animal, not that we're supposed to be like, but he chooses an animal and he says, when it comes to decision making, because there's animals about your personality, but when it comes to decision making, this is an animal that you are not to be like. And here's why. Look at, look at this passage with me. Psalm 32 Verses 8 and 9. We're told, um, I will instruct you, God says, and teach you in the way you should go. Okay, that's perfect. That's just what we're talking about. That's what we want. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Perfect. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And then he says, verse 9, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no, and look at that word. That's a key word if you have your Bibles underline it, which have no understanding but they must be controlled by a bit and bridle or they will not come to you now two truths emerge from this passage at least the first one is that god says i want to guide you i want to instruct you i want to counsel you and i want to do it in a way with my loving eye on you in a way that it's for your flourishing i want you to flourish to expand to grow as a person i want you to feel this sense of life a sense of pleasure but the second truth is, here's how I'm going to do it, he says. He says, I'm going to teach you and all this sort of thing, but I'm going to teach you in a way that is the opposite of how we most of the time interact with our animals. If you've got a dog and you've got a leash for your dog, if you're on a farm and you have a bit and bridle for your horse. And this has totally revolutionized the way that, that I've thought about this. Have you ever, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you've been like so surrendered to God? Just like, I will do whatever you want. I'll, do, I'll go to India. I'll go anywhere. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever. I remember when I graduated, or I, I, I was graduating college. It was, it was my last semester. I was down in Arizona at Grand Canyon University. And I remember sitting in my, in my, my apartment on campus. And my roommates were gone. And it was just... <clears throat> I didn't know what I was going to do vocationally. And I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I had like three or four, but nothing I was even leaning toward. And I was just so, you know, anxious. And I remember, I remember sitting in the, in the family room of our apartment. And I just, I just remember praying. And I said, God, I am, I, I promise I am so surrendered. I, I, my, I am willing to do absolutely anything. And I said that with fear and trembling because I thought he might take me up on it and say something big. But I mean it. I was so surrendered. And I really was. And I said, okay, God, just tell, just tell me. Tell me. And I'll, okay, ready? When I say go, you tell me. And I just will be, I'll be, okay, ready? Go. And I'm like, go, 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 go ahead. I'm ready. I'll do, I'll do anything. And it's like crickets. And I'm going, what's going on? And I pray more and hard. And I remember even days later feeling like, God, you really missed out. You had me so surrendered. You had me so willing. I, I would have done anything you wanted me to do. Because see, okay, here's the question though. What part of me did God have at that moment? I said, I am willing. What did he have? He had my will, right? I said, God, won't even have to think about it. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I won't object. I, any place, anything, anywhere, you name it, 
I will go. At that moment, what God had of Brent Cunningham was his will. The last filling in your outline there, and I want to tease the rest of this out. The reason God does not simply drop answers, and I'm meaning about like your future, your direction, that sort of thing, in your lap most of the time, is because he wants all of you. Look at verse 9 again. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no, remember that word? Understanding. But must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come. God, God promises to lead us, to instruct us, to teach us, but he describes how he's going to do it with a prohibition. Don't do it this way. Don't ask me for this. Do not ask me to do it this way. And he says, because that's what animals are like. And animals lack one great making quality that you have. And that's called understanding. So what, what exactly does that mean? See, the most we can get from an animal, it's telling us, is its will. And even at that, it's by putting a bit and bridle, a leash. It's by doing something like At best, I get an animal's will. And he's saying, that's not a model for Christian apprenticeship. Christian discipleship does not and never will look like that. So here's the question. When I was in my apartment sitting down and I was saying, God, just anything, tell me and I'll do What was I asking God to do? I was asking him to tell me anything. How was I asking him to treat me? Like a horse or a mule. Okay? Don't make any comments about the mule piece to me. But yeah, I was saying, God, treat me like a horse. Treat, just, just put the bit and bridle and just pull and I'll go. And I thought I was so surrendered. I thought I was at this great place. In life because I, this is how God works. He wants me to get to different points on the map. And, and, and if he just knew how serious I was and how... I'm saying, God, I'll go anywhere. Just pull. Take me to that point. And he didn't do it. And I thought God had missed an opportunity because I was so very surrendered to him. But again, how much did he have of me? Just my will. Okay. So God wants me invested in this is somehow what I'm getting. So think about it this way. God says he wants me to use my understanding. What does that mean? Okay, let's just think about kind of a little thought experiment here. If I'm going to make a big decision in life, what do I do? Well, the first thing, uh, by using my understanding, well, obvious piece would be I, I, have, to, I have to do some hard work of, of like investigating, right? Researching. Uh, if I'm thinking about moving, I've got to do research. What, what's the job market like there? Is, like, is my area, the area that I'm in, the, is that doing well in that area? Um, what's, what's the school system like if I've got kids? Uh, what's the... Um, you know, price of home, you know, cost of living, all these sorts of things. What does he have for me when I'm doing that? He has my mind, for starters, right? I'm thinking critically, I'm thinking hard, I'm researching, I'm turning stones over. What else do I have to do when I'm making a big decision? Well, I have to look inwardly. Why do I want this job transfer? Is it because I am deeply passionate about this, that I'm so excited that I love it? Or is it really just about fueling some, self, some sense of self-importance? I was talking to, uh, or I heard from, uh, through my brother, my cousin, Jack Uso. He uh, lives up in Minnesota, just got married about a year and a half ago. And he's a, he's a youth pastor up there. He's actually working with Young Life. 
and had a youth pastor, and he's loving what he's doing. And he got a call from a church in Loveland, big church, church is doing really well, bigger than the church he's been at. And they said, we want you to come be our youth pastor, possibly. Would you come interview with us? And he said, let me, let me think about it. Let me, let me like, talk with my wife, and you know, I, I need to think. And so they call him a couple more times, and he calls back, and he says, thank you, but no. And they're like, why? Do you know like, this is what we're about? You line up with what we're doing and all this stuff. Great church. And he goes, yeah, I just I don't think so. And they're like, why not? And, and, and this is what he said, and it blew me away. He said, because I'm, I'm pretty content with what I'm doing, like I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. And he said, and I know if I were to take it, it would be just my selfish ambition. And I was like, dude's like 24. I'm like, take it, take it. It would be my selfish ambition. Because you know what he did? He looked inwardly and he was like, what's going on with my feelings? Why do I want this? Why would I say yes to that? Is it really my calling or is it something, what's going on inside my heart? Why am I angry at this? Why am I hurt by this? Why am I offended by that? Why am I, what's going on inside me? Why do I really, is it, is it to please that person? Is that why I'm making this move or this change? Or is this why I'm giving up in some way? What else do you have to do when you're making a big decision? Well, you have to go to people in your life who know you the best people who who care deeply about you and you have to ask for counsel and you have to it's this reflecting on uh what they say you have to think about what kind of person you're going to become you have to seek counsel the book of proverbs is filled with this idea of go find wise people rub shoulders with them have lunch take them out to coffee say hey could i meet you oh you're busy till next week that's fine i'll wait let's connect next tuesday i'll buy you lunch and just you've lived a life you know pretty well you've made mistakes you're, you're transparent but but you know me and what do you think about this have you ever done this before it's a deep conversation that you're doing and so god has this has sort of the there's a, there's a social capacity to us and now he has the social capacity to me because I'm, I'm invested. I got a skin of the game. I'm, I'm buying people lunch and having conversations with them just so they will talk to me and give me their feedback about what to do. What else will I have to do? I'm going to have to go through a long process because there's no quick answers. This is like a huge decision. Proverbs tells me don't make rash, quick decisions. So I need to take my time and taking my time develop virtues like Patience, like endurance. I learn skills like, like listening well. When I actually go out to eat with the wise person, I don't just jab for that whole hour. I ask a question and I stop and I listen to what they have to say. I learn things like submission, submitting to other people's ideas. So now he has my character. Patience and endurance and submission, all those pieces of my character. Finally, after all of it, after all the weighing and the pondering and the praying, I say, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this step. And I take it with boldness. I take it with trust that, God, I've gone through the process. I've done what Scripture's told me to do and seeking counsel and, and doing all these different things, being introspective, asking deep questions. And then I'm going to boldly step out and I'm going to make a decision. And he has my, he's got my will now. 
The reason God does not simply drop answers in your lap is because he wants all of you. He doesn't just want your will. See, that, that's all he had with me when I was saying, God, take me anywhere, put the bit and bridle, put the leash, I'll go anywhere. I thought he had like more of me then. He actually had less of me then because I hadn't gone through this process. Now, more than that, do you realize that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? The greatest thing that you're to be about in life focused on? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, emotions. Will. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that this process actually helps me focus on the most important thing in all of life, loving God better? Well, that seems like a pretty good biblical model for making a decision. Maybe this isn't just about getting the right car and the right place. Maybe this is about hardwiring me. Maybe this really is about shaping my soul for the person that I become. Because see, here's the thing. After you go through this process, after, after you think real hard and you look introspectively and you talk to other people and, and, and you develop new character traits and, and you give your will and you make a decision, you go with it, guess what's different? You are. You're a little bit different after walking through that process. Because, see, here's the reality. Every little decision you make, every little decision you make is shaping who you are becoming. Um, guys that we started talking about, Solomon, asked for wisdom. Now, in the process, God told him, way back in Deuteronomy, he told all the kings of Israel, Deuteronomy 17, he said, don't acquire many wives. Okay? That's a biblical model. One man, one woman. He says, don't, don't do that as a king because you're going to have an opportunity as a king. You've got power. And what we know about Solomon, maybe, is more than anything else. Anyone know how many wives he had? 700. Anyone know how many concubines he had? 300. I mean, I can't imagine that... that what it would be like to go home and have 700 people, you know, going, you're late. You're late. <laughs> but here's the thing. Scripture tells us the reason why Solomon, those, 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 those so wise at the bit, you know why he went so off? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read the end of his life. His life was in shambles internally. Shambles. And Scripture points this and he says, he didn't listen. He had 700 and 300 but do you think Solomon thought at wife number two he was making, that he was that far off? I don't think so. I think wife number two is, uh, is two. More, one more than one. I know I could deal with one. one more. It's, it's the incremental, tiny, itty-bitty, little, almost seemingly innocuous decisions. Remember 70 a day, 25,000 a year, 1.7 million in our lifespan. But it's the tiny, itty-bitty little ones that we make that determines the whole direction of our life. Oscar Wilde, in his book De Profundis, borrowing from the first word from Psalm 130, out of the depths, he writes in, his, in this letter, a sort of an epistle he wrote from prison, toward the end of his life, things are in absolute shambles, almost like Solomon, but even worse. And he made this statement. This is another one of these statements that I've got, I've got pinned up 
right on my computer on a little sticky tab because it reminds me of the importance of decision-making. He said this, when his life's done, it's in shambles, he said, I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. And then he even heralds to Solomon's father, something happened to Solomon's father, David. He said, and I forgot that therefore what one has done in, in the secret chamber, one has someday to cry aloud on the housetop. Your decisions will make or unmake you, and you've got 70 a day. You've got 70 tomorrow. You probably have a few left today. Maybe you're at like 64 or something. I don't know. You've got 70 more tomorrow. You've got 25,000 over the next year. You've got about a million left. The most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve, it's not the job you have. It's not the hire that you make. It's not the move that you're deciding. The most important thing about you is the person you become. And there's one model of biblical decision-making that is focused, that is intent on shaping you into a certain kind of person. Because you're going to leave this life with none of those things that you're making decisions about except the person you've become. That's the only thing you'll leave this life with. Would you pray with me? Father, this can be kind of overwhelming when we really think about it. When we think about 70 a day, 25,000 a year, 1.7 million in a life. Thank you that we're not on our own, though. God, thank you that you don't call us to open up a big map and say, find all the points they are hidden. Good luck, I'll give you hints. Thank you that you have given us a manageable process to make wise decisions. And what's so cool is in the process, you're shaping the only thing that's going to get out of this life. And that's the people we become. God, would you help us to, to reorient ourselves, our thought, our focus, to that whole idea that what we're going to get out of life is the people we become. What you're going to get out of our lives, God, is the people we become. And we want to look more like Jesus. That's our goal, moment by moment, in our character, in our minds, in our feelings, in our will. We want to say the words of a son, not my will but yours be done. So, Father, I pray that as we continue in this series, that you would really stretch us, God. Give, give us insights, whether it be little nuggets or maybe just a whole different paradigm of, man, this is how i got to pursue life with God. Transform us, change us. Thank you we're not alone on the journey. Thank you your spirit is empowering us if we have stepped into a relationship with Christ, infusing us, living his life through us. We're so grateful, God. Thanks for community. Thank you for the, the people in this room that we can go to to ask important questions about counsel, Thanks for a community where we can be transparent about times when we are not right, when we've blown it, we don't know what to do, we can say help. Help us to be that kind of community. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. And help us to be wise this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.